Today I want to preach part two of 1 John chapter 1, 8 through 10. We covered the majority of this passage last week, and yet there's a much to this passage, especially verse 9, um, that I wanted to spend another Sunday with you in it. If you're just joining us, John, one of the apostles of Christ, is writing to his fellow Christians, fellow believers in Jesus, in his day, and he wants to encourage them with love, with certainty, and with truth. Much of what John is writing in this letter is addressing false claims or teachings that are being put out there as truth. And so John, in his love for his beloved, is, is going to say what needs to be said. He's going to speak truth. Trust that God's going to do His work in it. Um, he's going to correct false doctrine. He's going to reorient the eyes and the focus and the convictions of his blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ of what is true, of what is certain, of what is love. And this is what we're going to see today as we continue. John is going deeper than how we're living, as he's focused on the previous verses, living in the light, living in the darkness, to the actual state of our mind or our heart, a right and clear view of sin, and the forgiveness of God that he brings for those who confess their sin and trust in him, not in themselves or their circumstances. Look with me at our passage again as we dive back in. 1 John chapter 1, 8-10. through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. We've covered again verse 8 and verse 10. And the first part of verse 9, primarily I want to focus on the latter part of verse 9 with you today. 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is admittance that agrees with God of what is true. That something is what it is in opposition to lying about it or to ourselves or to others about what it is. When we truly confess, we are saying, I'm not lying to myself nor to you about this. I'm admitting that it is what it is according to God's holy standard. Because our sin is deceiving and our flesh wants to live in the dark. It wants to live in lies. It's super important that we who are blood-bought Christians want to expose our sin to the light. We want to be honest about what is, has happened or is happening because we love Jesus. That's the motivation. Because Jesus, I do this. I don't want to be in the darkness, living a lie, satisfying my flesh. I want to bring it into the light by declaring it is what it really is. It is sin. If you missed last week's sermon on confession and God's faithfulness and justice, I, I would encourage you to make it a priority to circle back to our website, to our podcast, where you can listen to that sermon with some good focus. So these critical foundations are under your feet. Praise God that He is faithful and just to deliver on His promises, and to do it in a righteous and just way. John is loving his hearers to remind them on these truths as he turns now to talk to them about their forgiveness in Christ. Why is this important? Because deception and lies wants to convince us that we're not truly forgiven or set free in Christ it's important because to be forgiven by God because of the completed work of Jesus is truly good news and great inspiration for why we live our days in Christ. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us 
our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does it mean that God forgives our sins? God's forgiveness means we are no longer indebted to Him because of our sin. We once, in our sin, prior to being known and to trusting Christ, carried a huge weight of debt, deserving His judgment, His justice, His wrath. The penalty we owed for our sin was not small. It was not inconsequential, but it was multiple-layered. Romans 6.23 says it very succinctly. The wages of sin is death. We earn our wage for our sin is death, spiritual death. Second, the penalty of our sin also means separation from Him who is holy. Him who is life, God Almighty. And third, it means eternal suffering. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. The price we owed for our guilt and sin is truly mankind's worst problem in this life and the next. What you're doing here this morning in church to seek God's Word, to look to these things, is to be active in being trained and being in, in being um, and growing an understanding of the worst problem that surrounds mankind, surrounds you. You might be feeling like, man, I should be doing more to help my society. If you are understanding sin and the gospel and putting that to work, you are doing the best work you can do to help this lost society because it addresses the worst problem we face. Not cancer. That's not the worst problem. Not abandonment of a parent. Not betrayal of a spouse. Not disobedience of of our kids. Not jail time. Not physical impairment. Not losing a loved one. Spiritual death. Separation now and forever from the Holy God and eternal suffering. This is what those who are still in their sin, apart from faith in Jesus, righteously deserve for falling short of the holy standard of God. For those who remain in their sin, who deny the gospel of the Lord, who do not submit their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, God is faithful and just to bring His judgment and wrath. But, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is glorious good news. Amen? The perfect and holy God forgives wretched sinners because of the price Jesus paid on our behalf. If you are not saved, confess your sin to God. And trust Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. If you are saved, you will confess your sin ongoingly. And you will submit to His Lordship in your life. For the saved, we must never grow numb to the glorious reality of God's forgiveness for us. Who truly confessed our sin and trusted our lives to Jesus. We were dead and by His grace He made us alive. In Christ and wiped clear our record so that He, the Holy God, can have a reconciled relationship with us now and forever. Paul speaks of God's forgiveness of those who trust in Jesus alone in Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 14. Listen to these great words. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us 
all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our certificate of death, which our sin earned us, was nailed to the cross of Jesus, church. He forgave us all our sins. Calvin explains well that when God forgives us, us, He remits all the punishment that we had deserved. Consider Paul's words just one chapter prior in Colossians chapter 1. 13 through 14, he, speaking of God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It says, in Christ, we have, we're possessors of redemption. The forgiveness of sins, meaning because Christ paid our debt, we are no longer separated from God, but forgiven and reconciled to Him. Paul says when God forgives us in our forgives our sins, it means redemption. That word redemption. Let's talk about that. To redeem something is to is to gain or regain possession of something or someone in exchange for payment. The payment was Jesus' blood. We are redeemed from separation with God for from deserving His wrath due our sin unto being reconciled with God and eternally loved and secured by Him. This is great news. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 1, 7. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. This is good news. Oh, be moved, be humbled, be filled with joy, church. Those who were born in sin and then proved to choose sin, guilty and deserving of God's wrath, are by God's grace and His election forgiven of that sin, all our sin, because Christ paid for it on the cross. It is done. It is not held held against us anymore. Did we deserve this? No. Did we earn this? No. Do we praise God for it forevermore? Yes. See with me that God's work in us to illuminate our hearts, give us saving faith, means we see and savor Him so that we see then and detest our wretched sin. Which means we're honest about our sin. We confess it. We no longer deflect. We no longer make excuse. We no longer say, look over there. We, we own it. And, and we, we trust Jesus. Our hope, our, our way forward is to walk by faith in Christ, to obey Christ, to serve Christ. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, please understand, our confession doesn't make God's forgiveness, faithfulness, and justice subservient to our will or work. See this in a, in a better light. Our true confession is the display of of our faith in Jesus, and that He is our only worthy substitute to pay for our sin. It's a testimony 
of God's work in salvation. It's not a work we do to earn salvation. Christian, if your faith is truly in Christ, then you are forgiven. This means you don't need to go back to God again and again and ask for forgiveness. You are forgiven. He has made this clear to you. What does it say to him when you call, call, come back again and again and say, will you forgive me? When he has told us clearly, we are forgiven. Therefore, when we sin, we confess our sin. We admit it, what it is. And we thank him that we are forgiven. That's the posture. That's the words. Past, present, and future sin paid for, forgiven. Your confession of sin, both at salvation and after, is evidence that your faith is in Christ as Savior and Lord and that it is at work. Many have wrongly read this verse as a prescription to believers that we must go to God for forgiveness when we sin. But why would we do that when God's word is clear that all our sins have already been forgiven by Christ's death on the cross? In both the passages I just read from Colossians, it is clearly stated, Colossians 1.14, we have in Christ redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Colossians 2.13 We have in Christ, we are forgiven all our trespasses. Now there's another layer to this that we must see rightly and be sure to apply to our lives. To say you belong to Christ and have been forgiven by God but then somehow think that you can't or won't forgive yourself is to simply not understand who you are in Christ in the fullness of the gospel. You can't possess hurts that God has forgiven you for. They are no more. The debt is paid in Christ You must see yourself rightly. You must see yourself honestly in light of the gospel that has made you new. To miss this is is to somehow say that what you have in Jesus is good, but there also is this need to forgive oneself, and so you turn to modern-day medicine and books and self-help books and book-of-the-month clubs to... No... Understand who you are in Christ and live that out. A clear understanding and life-changing embrace about the good news of God's grace to save you in Christ and to forgive you all your sins. Don't say that that's good and praise Him for it and then turn over here and be stuck in life because you're holding yourself in debt to things that you did? No. Be who you are in Christ. You're forgiven. You can't say something more true about yourself than God has said about you. This leads us to the emphasis that John highlights in the latter part of verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the same point but with a different emphasis. Theologian John Gill says, All unrighteousness is sin. To cleanse from sin is to remove the guilt of it by application of the blood of Jesus for pardon. Consider other places in Scripture where this is emphasized. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us. There's redemption again from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is what it means to be a Christian. Forgiven of your sin, 
cleansed of your unrighteousness, empowered with the Holy Spirit, belonging to God, not belonging to yourself, and zealous for the things he says are good and honor him. That's the testimony of, of a Christian. Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And this beautiful, massive truth bomb in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, he God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Don't say amen to the beauty of God's forgiveness for you and then turn to somehow live like you're still wretchedly stuck to your horrific missteps of your past. See yourself in the light of Christ. See what God sees in Christ, the righteousness that's been imputed upon you. This is the great exchange. Jesus' death, or my death, for his life. My sin, for his righteousness. My condemnation, for his salvation. My failure, for his success. My defeat, for his victory. This is the wonder and the beauty of what Jesus accomplished on the cross of Calvary on our behalf. His perfect shed blood on the cross is the righteousness we who trust in Christ are covered with. So when God in all of His holiness looks upon you and I and considers if we get to enjoy His glory, have communion with Him, He sees Jesus' perfection and righteousness and declares us justified. What's your testimony to yourself or to others if you claim the gospel, but then you still live under the weight of, of your condemnation from old? No. You're justified because of Christ. Justified by His blood. Cleansed from all unrighteousness. All those truly given to Christ are no longer guilty sinners, but redeemed and forgiven saints. There'll be days where sometimes you might say, I don't feel like a saint. And those are days where it is important for you to not stay dressed in your feelings, but to put on the truths of God who declares it to be so. It's good news for all who confess their guilt and sin before God and trust their lives to Jesus. Some will say, I, I could never do the Christian thing because of what's behind me. And I would say, you just still don't understand the gospel yet. His work to make you new. To redefine. To make you a new creation. With new longings. New objectives for living. I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could stay with it. Yeah, you on your own can't, won't. But Christ in you. Spirit. The Word. The church. Beautiful, wonderful gifts to keep us on track unto Christ. Christian, do not wallow in guilt. When you're no longer guilty, live out the healing, the freedom, the victory that your confession, repentance, and being forgiven means. 
Did you do horrendous things? Yes. Did you confess that you did those things and rightly called them sin? Yes. Did you turn from those things because of your new faith in Christ and longing to serve Him in all you do? Yes. Did Jesus do all that was needed to pay for your sins and God confirmed it in His resurrection? Yes. Then you're no longer guilty. You're forgiven. You're washed clean. And therefore you need to live out your new life in Christ and no longer be weighed down by your old sins and your old identity. Live out who you are in Christ. A new creation. Forgiven and washed clean. Romans 4, 6-8 through 8. David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous, righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. My question to you this morning Are you enjoying your new identity in Christ? Or or are you testifying falsely about who you are in Christ? Because even though He threw the jail cell open and set you free, you're still deciding to wake up each day and stay inside your old cell, declaring to yourself and to others that you're still guilty for what you did. Do you see how this perverts the gospel testimony, which is the reason for your days? Remember the words of Solomon, I mentioned them last week, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. Are you guilty of doing that? Where you're struggling, you put a mask on, you conceal it, you live in two lives. I don't have to tell you that when you do that, life's really hard. It just said it for us. You won't prosper. It's miserable. The one who confesses and renounces their sins finds mercy. Confess your sins and know that you are forgiven in Christ, both now and forever. That's mercy. That's amazing grace. Amen? This has been God's plan from the beginning. To do a spiritual work. To bring forth new life as He washes clean His chosen people. Let me circle this back to Ezekiel 36. The promise of God for His elect. This beautiful promise, proclamation. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall... Be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. This is good news because in Christ. We truly have a new beginning. The old saying goes, Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And so it's very likely that there are many in the room today who are feeling like, Man, have I squandered this. (laughs) And my prayer for you all week has been, Let's start today. June 27th, 
2021 was a day by which the gospel went forth in my life in a new way. No longer bound to this old stuff, no longer held captive, but joyful to be his, joyful to confess sin and turn to what is good and righteous, joyful to live for him. Now I want my legacy to be, I didn't do it my way, I did it his way. Do you trust Jesus and believe, truly believe, that you are forgiven and have a new beginning in Him? We have to be willing to fully trust God if you're going to have a new start in Him, or it won't work. That faith has got to go to work. It can't just be something you say. Some of you still really struggle with the idea that God has forgiven you for the wretched, wicked, deplorable things you've done. The fleshly thought is, the things I've done are too horrible for God to forgive. But hold on. I've said it before. I'll keep saying it. That would mean that Jesus shed blood is not enough. That's what you're saying there. It's not good enough. It's not big enough. But think about what you're saying. The blood of the eternal and holy God, the Son, shed on the cross for you and me to pay for our sin, it is way big enough because of who He is. This is your faith at work. To trust in Christ is sufficient to save you and empower you to live for God the rest of your days. We need to be reminded of the many who have come before us who gave their lives. They died. They were killed. Stripped from their families. Burned at the stake. Still praising God. And yet how quick are we to say my modern American Californian life is not really working out all the ways I want it to. And so wah, 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 wah. And I'm done. And I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to whatever. No. We're not even close to that is our faith at work, then we will die for it. You can have it all, and I will praise Him. All of this belongs to Him. All of it. Let's go. You have to trust Him. You can't say you're saved and say that Jesus is Lord and not trust Him and not believe Him. Now, let's turn to consider what God's forgiveness for us means and what it doesn't mean. Okay, real practical this morning. First, what being forgiven doesn't mean. While the judicial and relational consequences of our sin are dealt with in Christ, our relationship with God, there is still a reality of horizontal consequences for our, the sin that we've done. And we have to see that rightly. So we don't have a false belief like, hey, God, I trust in Jesus. And I thought you said you were going to wipe my my slate clean, but I got a lot of drama and consequences from the stuff I've done. So understand, being forgiven by God does not mean all your relationships or circumstances will be repaired. You could break the law, commit a crime, And repent and trust in Jesus. And if you do, and that's real, you are truly forgiven by God, cleansed of your unrighteousness. While this is amazing news that affects your forever standing and life with God, there's still horizontal and physical consequences that you will likely pay for. A fine to pay, community service to do, maybe jail time to serve. If you abandon your marriage or family, give yourself to sin and selfishness. We've sadly seen people do before. Later than in life, confess your sin. Trust your life to Jesus. You're truly forgiven by God. Cleansed of your unrighteousness. 
Again, while this is amazing news that affects your forever standing in life with God, there are still going to be horizontal and physical consequences that you'll likely suffer. Your unbelieving family may not forgive you. They may not take you back in. If they do, you may see a lifetime of struggle and who they are, what that what happened in your absence. Maybe they were remarried and moved away. These horizontal relational consequences may be long-standing for you. The key is that you rest in and walk in your new identity in Christ, no matter what you face in those relational or circumstantial consequences. We saw this in Paul's life. Acts 9.26, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. So I'm coming and walk the other way. For many years, Paul was a major player to persecute the church. And so when he repented and trusted Jesus as Savior, there was a real road of struggle for many to accept the new Paul. This was a real consequence of the testimony that he had given for a long time and now had to face as he walked through the days before him. He couldn't control what everyone else thought. He just had to walk by faith and not by sight, knowing it's going to take time. Another one, being forgiven by God doesn't mean our fight with sin is over. While our standing before God in Christ is righteousness, we still have to fight our sin. Practice righteousness by the power of Jesus. A few verses I mentioned last week in relationship to this to remind you again, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're fighting the desires of the flesh, how do you not gratify them? You walk by the Spirit. There's the answer. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We must always be fighting sin in the power of Christ. We don't get to have an excuse to give in to it, to, to languish. We must fight it. Make war with it. Today, not tomorrow. Owen said it well. Be killing sin or it be killing you. Another reality, being forgiven by God doesn't mean that we have a free pass to do whatever we want. Sadly, many ascribe to this belief. Sinful heresy, antinomianism. Antinomianism comes from two Greek words, anti meaning against, nomos meaning law. Theologically, antinomianism is the belief that God doesn't have standing commands on us. That commands from God exist, but it's not important for a Christian to obey them. Problem with this is Jesus' own words. Kind of uh, authoritative, right? Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. John 14, 21. The evidence of a true believer who loves Jesus as Lord of their life is one who has and keeps God's commandments. How this verse rebukes the increasing antinomianism of our day. It's a quote I want to read you. In some circles, one cannot use the word commandments without being frowned upon as legalist. Multitudes are now being taught that the law is the enemy of grace. And that the God of Sinai is a stern and forbidding deity, laying upon his creatures a yoke grievous to be born. Terrible travesty of the truth is this. The one who wrote upon the tables of stone is none other than the one who died on Calvary's cross. 
And he who hears says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And said at Sinai that he would show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. This was written by theologian Pastor A.W. Pink a hundred years ago. And sadly, it is still very true today. Probably just about every day you're bumping into quote-unquote Christians who don't even realize that this is what they believe. And it just shows how potent sin is. Sin in mankind gives us the audacity to rewrite what the Lord has made clear. Our self-justifying flesh loves to repackage and reprioritize what God said is good and what He makes clear we are to do to honor Him. Now we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not by our obedient works or will. This is true. But it does not mean the moral, universal commandments of God and the new covenant positive law commands of God are not for us once we're saved. The good news is that in Christ, watch this, we now have the power and desire to obey the good and right commands of God. In Christ alone is this possible and is the evidence of our salvation. Some people wrongly think, if I'm saved by grace and all my sins are forgiven, why is there concern for whether or not I sin or follow God's commands at all? And that thinking is not the proper God-honoring response to true conversion, because true conversion, watch this, produces a genuine and ever-increasing desire to obey God's commands. It is the Spirit of God in us that brings about conviction and true desire to submit to God and no longer our flesh. An attitude that says, I, I am good and now I'll do what I want is a testimony that lacks the, that the Spirit is on board to bring conviction, to bring obedience. And there's a nuance here I really want to make sure you get. The result of, of regeneration means the sovereign God gives us a new heart, new desires, that the tree of our life will go on to produce good and ongoing crop of God-honoring fruit. That doesn't mean the true Christian doesn't have days or even seasons of struggle in sin. A true Christian will struggle, will sin. They can even do grievous sin. A true Christian can languish in immaturity. The difference is they will not stay there. There will be real repentance. There is the presence of real conviction and humility. Not ongoing rejection of the truth to go your own way. There will be a real trajectory of growth and sanctification, practice of humility, not self-define what it looks like, but to look to God's Word and gospel partners to be accountable to each other under the Lord. So even when there's struggles and backsliding, we, we fight sin. And we don't give way for that to somehow become the norm. Instead, there's a trajectory in that fight, in that humility, in that walking by faith that, that shows the evidence of Christ at work. The real struggle and backsliding is, is why we do Christian discipline. Why it is loving to hold accountable according to truth to all that God has instructed us to, even when that's hard. Because to blatantly deny God's authoritative word to go our own way 
unrepentantly is to not walk in step with the gospel. It is to not be aligned with Christ. The truly saved and converted by the Spirit will come around, repent, obey God with their life, and we praise God. If not, they prove to not be of us. How antinomianism often plays in modern Christianity is someone who is known as a professing Christian is seen or caught in their sin. Another faithful Christian lovingly, faithfully goes to call that person out, to call them to repent, to turn to obey God and His good commands. And then another person says, Whoa, who are you to say that? Where's your grace? It's all grace. Or they'll say, You have no place to judge them. That's the talking point of this whole view. Church, this is all rooted, that whole view is rooted in a misapplied antinomian process of thought that has infected the modern church. It's not being corrected by shepherds, not not being corrected by the word. Yes, we're saved by grace alone, but the evidence of the saved is a desire and a doing of the will and commands of God. This is Jesus teaching all throughout Scripture. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. James emphasizes this in James 1, 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Just flip that verse around and, and let it go to work on you. Am I doing what God's word's calling me to do? If not, and I'm only hearing it, then I am deceived. The evaluation is given. The answer is right there. You don't have to keep looking. One of the biggest signs of true saving faith and super, or true saving faith versus superficial faith is obedience to God's will and word. James says we must be doers of the word because it is those who joyfully obey God's word that prove to belong to God and truly trust Jesus as Lord. So we don't say because I'm forgiven of my past, present, and future sin that I get to do what I want. That that is not Christianity. That's not the word of God. Being forgiven by God doesn't mean we live in fear for the consequences of our old sin. This is another thing that is a little more quiet. And, and I get a little bit more of a view as a shepherd who gets to walk with many in some more intimate space. As you pursue righteousness and grow in what it looks like to honor God, there are things that are going to come up that you need to deal with. You can be years in and realize, I've perpetuated a lie that, that can't be anymore. Maybe it's even related to something that happened back in the day, but, but the deception has continued. And you're racked with this fear of, of if you are honest about it, it's going to make things hard. And in that kind of proved to still be enslaved to it. We need to walk by faith and not by sight. We need to rest in our being forgiven by God and not continue in sin for fear of what it might mean on the horizontal. You know in your relationships with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, your coworkers, if there's dishonesty there, if there's a lie being perpetuated, you know, you see how the relationship's bleeding out. Love those people enough to finally get on the table and have it be done. Don't think that somehow perpetuating this is going to make it better. Could it get real messy? Yeah, it could. It could. But I'm not in charge of that. What I'm in charge of is honoring my God in the truth and doing what's right and walking by faith and not by sight. I promise you, because I've done this with many, better today than nine years from now, finally getting to it. Because I promise you, what you'll tell me is, if I would have only done this nine years ago. (laughs) 
I mean, silly stuff that impacts our relationships. I, I was a kid playing at my grandma's house with my siblings. And we're playing in the den and dancing to some Michael Jackson. Tells you the era I grew up in. And I threw my hand in the air into the ceiling fan. I think I messed it up a little. And we were playing with the phone. I called 911, hung up. The cops came to the door. Grandma's like, no, no, we're good. Kids, we're all here. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, no, no one called you. Anyone call? No, no, no. And grandma moved on. And that little lie stuck with me in my relationship with my grandma for a long time. Way too long. It, it, it just, it affected. I knew it was there. If I would have just said it, she would have given me a big squeeze, said, forgive me, it's good, let's, let's go forward. You know, or I just, let's, let's walk in truth, let's walk in the light. I know that example may hold no candle of comparison compared to the fallout weight of whatever it is you're considering. But let's not walk in fear and be bound by old things. Let's, let's walk in truth. We're seeing testimony of that among some of our families in recent years, and it's sweet when it happens. Before we wrap up, let's, let's look to the other side. What being forgiven does mean. Being forgiven by God means we forgive others. The Christian life involves a lifelong process of forgiving the sins of those who sin against us. When we do this, it is evidence that God has forgiven us. If we refuse to forgive another, it is evidence the gospel has not saved us and set us free. And we're still guilty for our sins and God has not forgiven us. Yes, what I just said is that specific in scripture it is a huge deal and i pray you hear god's word clearly this morning ephesians 4 32 be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as christ god forgave you just as in christ god forgave you colossians three thirteen, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The Lord is clear in His Word that our practice of forgiveness of others is a legitimate testimony that we are actually forgiven by God. Said the opposite way, those who refuse to forgive others are proving to not be forgiven by God. One confesses their sin, they, and, and, and you hold that against them because you're not ready, because you still want to make them pay. You cannot be in that spot and claim Christ. He said, Pastor, that's, that's really strong. Well, let's just, again, let's look to Jesus' words. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Peter came up and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said, I, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him his debt. But then that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii, and seized him, and began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down, plead with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw that he had taken, this had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And here it is, Jesus' words, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Hear God's word clearly. We cannot enjoy the forgiveness of the holy God on our wretched sin and then keep someone else's sin against them. Our true testimony of being forgiven is that we forgive others. If you are are stuck thinking, I can't, I won't forgive this person, then, then this is an issue of salvation, according to Jesus. There is no greater priority for you than this. Seek the Lord and let His gracious work empower you to forgive others. In this, your gospel testimony shines brightest. I love the way the testimony of forgiveness goes to work in our society. When Christians are forgiving people who don't deserve to be forgiven, the gospel testimony is going to work in a way that other people are like, what just happened? Christian, our testimony that the Holy God forgave us when we deserve nothing but His wrath and our guilt from sin is truly the bright light we shine for all to see. In light of this, it is our deepest prayer that many who are guilty and standing apart from Christ would repent of their sin and trust Jesus for salvation. I believe one of the most powerful tools we have in these days that God has given us to make much of His gospel is the practice of forgiveness the testimony of Christians forgiving others who do not deserve to be forgiven. They do this not because of the person's performance or effort to make it right, simply because God has forgiven them and they do not want to be the keeper of another's sin is truly amazing. Church, we, we, this must be us. You must leave here today not just convinced and moved to worship and obey because you are forgiven, but also to go out and practice the very forgiveness you have been shown, therefore proving to belong to God through faith in Christ alone. Consider with me for a moment what happens to your family because of your practice of a humble, gospel-empowered forgiveness. What happens to your marriage because of your practice of humble, gospel-empowered forgiveness. What happens to your workplace because of your practice of humble, gospel-empowered forgiveness? What happens to our church because of your humble, gospel-empowered forgiveness? What happens to your neighborhood because of your practice of humble, gospel-empowered forgiveness? What happens to your enemy because of your practice of humble, gospel-empowered forgiveness? The bright light of Christ shines and restoration and healing happens. May it be so in each of us. Now, I so wanted to go into the depths and layers of forgiveness and when and how, what it means and what it doesn't mean. There are important layers here and clarity. And yet, I'm just a few months away from teaching on that at our midweek gathering. So, we're not going to do that today. We're going to put a pin in that and we're going to be excited to be together soon to delve into those layers and get to some clarity of application when it comes to forgiveness uh, in, in its fuller light. If you are here today and you are still the Lord of your own life, if you are calling the shots, if you are declaring what joy and freedom looks like, if you have refused to confess your sin and truly trust your life to Jesus to rule and to reign all things in your life, then know that you are guilty of your sin and only Jesus can save you. If this is you, listen again. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. This sovereign, providential time to gather and worship and pray and study your holy word. What a joy it is to see your work in many. What a joy it is to know you're not done. Oh, it's so easy to lose hope, to lose that fight. But just as James read earlier in Psalm 23, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Even as you prepare a table before enemies, you anoint our heads with oil. You, you are at work. You are moving. You are shaping. You are fulfilling your sovereign decrees. And we belong to you. And we are satisfied in you. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We thank you for your sovereign work to show us our sin so we can confess it. Be honest and humble and to trust you, to to worship you, to live for you. That that, that you cleanse us, Lord. You you forgive us. The, The grace of this testimony, Lord, would just... Move us today unto what honors you. And so begin right here in in this time of singing of these gospel truths as we worship you, as we prepare to go, and all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.